Greetings, this is Jean-Claude Matuku and welcome to The Canadian in Me, where we build communities one story at a time. I want to welcome you to all my Muslim friends. I want to wish you uh, Eid Barak. So this episode today will talk about something that I love a lot. You know, I love using the word community and people who have been with me, I think, will say, well, Jean-Claude, maybe you talk too much about community. And I'll say, you know what, that's because I feel like it's my responsibility to talk about it. But if I was to challenge you right now to draw a community, I'm almost convinced, you know, I'm I'm almost 100% you will draw a picture that includes people, maybe people walking in a park, and there will be some element of housing in it. And that's what we'll talk about today. We'll talk about housing because I think it's an essential element of a community. I think housing provides people with a place to stay it provides people with a place to to feel private it provides people with with a shelter you know it provides them with uh, a place where they can feel safe and that's why i feel like it was essential for us to come and talk about housing and how important it is so before that before this podcast i i sent out a quick survey on instagram asking people on whether housing is a human right, you know, whether it's it's something that we all deserve as a right. And um, first of all, I would like to thank you, you know, thank you, all, you know, thank all the people who took some time to respond to this uh, to this uh, question or to this uh, short survey. And the results were, you know, I'll say I'm quite pleased because uh, 74% said yes, it's a human rights issue. Uh, others said uh, 26% said no. But, you know, I don't want to blame anyone and I think we all need to talk about this topic. We need a lot of awareness. We need more conversations surrounding this issue. So to help us with this topic, I invited a good friend of mine who's Martin Asling. I have known Merton since my time in university. Uh, he's a he's an advocate. He's uh, he's an actor, improv actor, but he's also a great member of the uh, uh, Kitchener area. Um, and I think he brings a lot to the table. So he'll talk to us about what him and his group, uh, the Waterloo Region Yes in My Backyard uh, group, what they're doing to advocate for for affordable housing, and also just uh, we'll also talk about the uh, the issue of whether or not uh, housing is a human rights issue. So my friends, welcome again. I'm and here is my interview with Martin. Cheers. Sure. Uh, my name is Martin, uh, Martin Asling. Uh, so a few things about me. So, of course, I'm, I've been involved with uh, an organization called Waterloo Region Yes in My Backyard. I, I helped found it along with my, my colleague, Melissa Bowman. Um, and she's someone that ran for, for council previously and had a really positive yes in my backyard kind of aspect to her campaign and can talk a bit more about what that means in a bit. But um, as far as fun facts, well, I know you. Um, we were uh, we were classmates in the Master of Public Service program at the University of Waterloo. Um, I recall you were the student president and we uh, worked on a couple of things together. I think uh, one of them was the uh, a summary brief on the basic income pilot project yeah, I remember um, which the previous Ontario government um, initiated and which was sadly cancelled by the current Ontario government but uh, yeah we I, I think we both uh, learned a lot in that program and I enjoyed uh, working with you thank you um, so that's one thing uh, another fact about me 
I don't know if this is a fun fact, um, but I, I used to work in an emergency shelter, so a homeless shelter. And I think that was pretty formative for me. I've like I've always been kind of concerned about uh, poverty, homelessness, uh, housing, housing affordability. But I think that um, sometimes when you're in university, when you're studying something, it's um, you're a little bit detached from it. So it just kind of kind of drove home how how it's really ultimately about people's lives, people's stories, and uh, just kind of drove home the importance of doing something about it. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that, you know, I, I do want to give a bit of a qualification whenever I mention that um, in the context of my activism, because ultimately, you know, there are lots of people that I work with. We may not all agree on every single thing about all the things that uh, that we should do to make housing more affordable overall, and in particular to uh, do something about homelessness. And um, I think it's it's also dangerous to, you know, be speaking for the people that you're that you're that, that you're working with the, the homeless population. I mean, like anyone else, they they might have a, a wide range of views about what needs to be done. I th- although I think that most um, obviously, um, you know, there would be a lot more concerned about the the fact of homelessness. I mean, it's something that's directly affecting them. And I think that one of the big challenges anyone that um, is concerned about housing affordability has to address is, you know, how do you, how do you um, center the people that are uh, most affected by, by the problem? And with homelessness, it's particularly uh, a challenge because, you know, if you're, if you're homeless, you have a lot, you have a lot on your plate yeah. and you have, um, I mean, it's, it's hard enough to just kind of move forward and and get to where you need to be in life and you know get housed and move forward with whatever else is going on that may have contributed to the homelessness or may have been the experience of homelessness could have itself been a very significant contributing factor to a number of different issues mm. um, that aren't going to just immediately go away even when you do have housing so that's not a fun fact but it's a I think an important, yeah, important fact. Yeah. And I guess a bit more of a fun fact about me is that I'm really interested in improv. And it is kind of funny that, uh, so if you know much about improv, uh, there, there's the, con- the, the, um, there's the mantra of yes. And which is in an improv scene, um, because you're making things up as you go along with other people. So there's this, this cooperation that's necessary. So saying yes in an improv scene is actually, agreeing with and cooperating with your scene partner. So if your scene partner comes in and says, hi, Dr. Jenkins, you don't go and say, I'm not a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you agree with that. And, you, and then you kind of try to build the scene and move the scene forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting and maybe funny that I'm part of a yes in my backyard group with that kind of yes and kind of doctrine uh, that was drilled into me. So I also want to talk a little bit now about the yes in my backyard. Um, what is it? You know, I know you alluded to it a little bit, but like, just yeah. I want to hear from you. What does it stand for, and why is it important? Yeah. So yes in my backyard is a direct counter to um, the idea of not in my backyard. So I'll start with not in my backyard. Not in my backyard is it's kind of a characterization of how how some people view. Uh, local kind of politics, particularly when it comes to uh, zoning or maybe social services, uh, housing, 
um, as far as what people want to allow in their neighborhood. Mm. And there's often a, a movement to say no. And the reason why it's not in my backyard as opposed to just no is that it's, and this is uh, the, the key issue that I have with it, is that it's not necessarily about whether or not something is overall good or bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, if someone is against, uh, say, an apartment building in, in their neighborhood, uh, it's, it's much harder to make the case that apartment buildings are just overall bad because then you have to address the idea of, well, where else are, going, are people going to live if they can't afford their own home? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas not in my backyard is saying, is not necessarily making a case against it overall. It's just saying, we don't want it here. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's not literally the backyards of the people that are uh, complaining about it, right? It's the neighborhood. Um, so, so that's one issue with kind of using yes in my backyard as a counter is that we're still calling it a backyard and it's not really, it's all, it's ultimately um, yes in my neighborhood mm-hmm. um, and uh, ultimately yes in all neighborhoods. Um, even if you don't want something in your neighborhood, we have to think of what is the overall benefit. You know, it's never, it's never a solution to say, well, I don't want this in my neighborhood, but then not addressing what happens to whatever thing you're trying to um, not have in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, does it just go somewhere else? Um, does it somehow disappear? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. These kind of difficult questions need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, we talked about you know in the introduction. I talked about you know just the importance of of, of housing when it comes to community building and stuff. Now, what's the state of housing in the region? So, I mean, the, the state of housing in the region. Uh, so, one of the best kind of resources, if you're actually looking to to find out more about the state of housing in the region, is. Um, uh, the city of Kitchener put out a needs assessment report on the housing situation, and that was put out um, late in 2019. Um, so just kind of looking at that, uh, so uh, so 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 one of the statistics it cites is um, it finds that incomes, uh, so people's incomes are, um, are are rising, but not at a rate equal to. Um, increases in the cost of housing. So even though inflation, so over a period where inflation increased by 18% over a number of years, average rents actually increased by 41%. So well above the rate of, you know, not simply inflation, right? Mm -hmm. And average house prices increased by 104%. um, And that's from 2009 to 2019. Um, Most of the increase in rents, uh, they state, is between 2016 and 2019. And of course, with COVID, I, I, I came across something recently from Canon Mortgage Housing Corporation talking about how you know property values um, may actually be decreasing in some cases now during COVID. But I feel like you know this is a very particular case um, you know due to a pandemic, and I and the overall trend has been increasing in, in cost of housing. So I and also like with the other thing with COVID is that the um, the costs and risks. Associated with homelessness that uh, that still exists is is even greater mm-hmm. um, because of the additional uh, difficulty of, of self isolating. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of uh, part of the kind of indication of how things are kind of 
the, the overall trend has been for, for housing to become more expensive. A common benchmark that people use that you've probably heard is the uh, uh, of a vacancy rate of 3%. It's often used as a benchmark. Mm. Um, and the current, uh, the, the, uh, the report cites a rental vacancy rate of 2.2% which is, you know, a fair bit below 3%. But the yeah. other thing to consider is that uh, 3% is just a benchmark. It's not necessarily um, ultimately what economists kind of look at as, you know, a vacancy rate where, um, you know, that isn't too high, that isn't too low, mm -hmm. that uh, perhaps if it's uh, too high, then it, you know, signifies other problems. But, of course, if it's too low, there's a, there, there's a lack of housing. Um, there are many estimates for, for for different municipalities that are above, sometimes significantly above three percent. So I'm, um, so I, so I don't know if three percent would necessarily mean that everything's fine, mm -hmm. but that's the common benchmark that is used, and um, and we're below that. We're below, yeah. So it's basically an indication yeah. that things are not good. And uh, honestly, um, again, I was just reading something that sh uh, says. You know, finding housing these days is becoming a big issue. It's, it's a big problem where uh, in Ottawa to find a house is honestly, you know, when I moved here from Waterloo, it, it, it was a headache. You know, it, it was a big hassle where the competition is just crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's very, yeah. and, you know, I'm reading articles where people now have a strategy on <laughs> how how to to score a house. Basically, you're hearing people, you know, taking flowers and bottles of wine, and then you look at myself. Well, I have a job, I have a good job, and all, but that's not even enough to to guarantee yeah. me, you know, a, a place to stay. Now, when you think about now, people who are either uh, f financially vulnerable or people who have some kind of like a mental health, uh, you know issue or challenge it becomes even harder for them and um yes. which leads me back to the question of you know yeah and, and and again again i guess we can also almost tie it back not necessarily but like i, th I think we can almost tie it back to that whole uh no culture where again just to to be clear no is, ne is not a bad thing but the, the no culture makes it easier for us to just you know say you know what this problem is a homeless people problem. I have nothing to do with it. Basically, we we yeah. exclude ourselves from being part of the solution, the equation itself. But, you know, like you said, you know, with creativity and um, openness and uh, empathy, you know, sympathy and, you know, people are able to get housing. Um, I was working for a local organization that I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, as an employment counselor, everyday people come in and I can tell you it was you really start to see the importance of housing when people come to you and they're literally shedding tears. They're like, I need a place. You know, I, I really need a place. Yeah. And again, we go back to this whole competition where I'm helping this man to find a place to stay. He's on uh, he's on welfare or he's on ODSP and they want just a simple place, a place where they can put their stuff and relax and just deal with all the other issues that they're dealing with. And often yeah. it's very hard, you know, it's very hard. Like you said, you know, the vacancy rate is very low. Uh, as we know, uh, people who own these houses or landlords, a lot of them, well, once they see that you are either on, you know, 
welfare or DSP, it becomes very hard to give you a place. And, you know, it goes back to that whole, you know, human right issue, but also people who own properties are having that heart, you know, to be a little bit more sympathetic. Um, there is one guy that I know who I think is doing such an amazing job. So, again, while working at the working center, uh, I was able to participate in, um, I was doing an extra gig somewhere where this person was able to refurbish a place and he created, um, I'll say, bachelor rooms in this fairly, it's, 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 a, it's a big house, but he created uh, bachelor units in that house and um, he was able to offer it to people who were basically un you know, unhousable, if that's the term. And, you know, some of these people are doing well, you know. Yeah, so I guess now I want to talk about the, you know, your organization particularly. What inspired you to to launch this? Well, um, so I've talked about kind of my, my work experience and just seeing the um, the degree of need that is out there. I um, there, there are a few things that kind of came together. Uh, when I was studying politics, there's kind of an idea that local politics isn't as interesting or maybe isn't even as uh, relevant and um, even to the point where, you know, some people thought that, you know, the big kind of debates that you might see otherwise in a politics class, you know, kind of, you know, distributive justice, who gets what and how, how this gets sorted out in society um, with, you know, all these winners and losers is is less seen on the local level where it's maybe just a bit more dry and zoning was used in an example of that. And um, I had started to read a little bit about zoning and uh, one really, so, so, so that's definitely not my take now and was starting to be not my take uh, then either. And one of the formative articles that I read was actually um, by uh, co-written by someone named uh, Mariana Valverde and uh and uh, so, so, so they were talking about the homeless shelters in Toronto. They, they attempted to, the city attempted to kind of um, expand, kind of spread them out further, so so that uh, more people could be could, could be reached. Um, and there was a huge, huge backlash just in the kind of local politics, using zoning, using whatever tools um, were potentially available at their disposal to really block delay. And ultimately um, they were, they were quite successful in delaying and um, it was just kind of even just to get one shelter in a, you know, predominantly in in a kind of richer neighborhood that maybe wasn't used to having a shelter um, that took a very long time. So that was a big kind of, um, I guess, aha moment for me when I thought like this kind of stuff about zoning, it's not some kind of, a political thing where it's just about, you know, um, whether or not a factory should be, you know, uh, far away from, uh, a, you know, a, a community of people. It it really is fundamentally about um, winners and losers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the winners are, are often the people that already have housing and see the um, see their property values continue to rise. And the losers are people that um, certainly um, uh, people that aren't able to find housing at all, but also the people that are not in the type of housing they would otherwise want if it was more affordable. One of the big ways that um, uh, it's been said that cities are, are a lot like 
labor markets. And so ultimately, if you're excluding people from a neighborhood, you're excluding people from, uh, you know, equal opportunities Mm -hmm. for for jobs, right? I mean, how far you you are away from work is one big consideration on, you know, where you can feasibly work. Um, so it's it's a big kind of whether or not um, more housing and more affordable types of housing are allowed make, makes a big difference. Um, so, you know, I started reading a lot about um, things that had to do with housing. I uh, one of so, you know, a few books, one was um, called The Color of Law, which was actually about structural racism in the United States, which so talked about a whole number of other things, but one of the things that it mentioned was so-called exclusionary zoning. So having neighborhoods where certain types of housing, particularly more affordable types of housing were, were not allowed. Um, that was often um, done sometimes explicitly for racist reasons, sometimes a bit more, um, maybe some letters to the editor would kind of make that case and maybe it wasn't officially in a, uh, a you know, in an official justification, but 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 clearly in the background, where um, when other more explicitly racist means of keeping black and white Americans segregated in the United States, the kind of more just building type based types of uh, ways of you know segregating just building use means that your your land use really ultimately means you know. Some types of buildings that are uh, some types of homes that are more expensive, some types of homes that are more likely to be less expensive or allowed in different areas that often can have the same results, right? Because mm. of um, the disadvantages that people already have. And then, so if you have a, a class based disadvantage, uh, you know, income based disadvantage that reinforces the other inequalities that already exist in society as well, and, you know, that had already also been kind of enforced and reinforced by government as well so uh so that was a big part of it i you know began reading many other things about uh, zoning and uh, nimbyism and i during the fairly recent municipal elections i uh i was in ward nine in kitchener and melissa bowman was running in ward nine and she was one of the few people that i found not just in my ward but overall as well that were talking about the need for more housing overall, mm-hmm. um, the need to increase the supply of housing. Um, talking back a little bit about, uh, I don't know if the phrase NIMBYism was actually used, but talking about that kind of idea of, you know, different types of housing um, being unsuitable for a neighborhood. And she had one very kind of moving piece um, saying, you know, I've been everywhere talking about just like, um, you know, d- different types of housing that she'd lived in and that, you know, many different people have lived in. And, uh, you know, I, if, if you're someone that has lived in or needed many different types of housing to, you know, be able to afford housing, then, you know, you'd think differently about whether or not um, an apartment building or a rooming house will um, hurt the neighborhood character mm-hmm. of a particular neighborhood. You might have different kind of ideas of what should be allowed. And, and I think that, uh, you know, I've been very privileged and fortunate myself, but I think that you need to allow different types of housing because ultimately that's allowing different types of people in, in our neighborhoods. And it's, and it's about, um, you know, making it possible for the cost of housing to decrease. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, housing costs have been 
rising quite a bit in recent years, and it it's not the only thing that can be done. It's not the only thing that should be done, but I think it's a very important part of it, which is allowing for more housing overall. Like you were saying, like when you're trying to find housing in Ottawa, um, when there's so many people trying to outbid you on, on a home, I mean, that's a very clear kind of articulation of the problem, of, of a big part of the problem, which is that, you know, you have all these people that are, you know, very high demand. And, you know, if, if the supply met the demand, then, you wouldn't have so many people, so many people bidding for just one home, right? Mm. Um, and so that's one of the key reasons why it's so expensive. So that was kind of what, what drew me to it. Um, and there was also kind of a, a, at the time, so the city of Kitchener is still kind of going through a, a long process to kind of um, re-examine and, um, its, uh, its, its official plan and its zoning. And so we were able to kind of... Uh, jump in at that point and make a recommendation to the city of Kitchener that they um, remove uh, something called the, uh, a, um, the this uh, part of the bylaw that um, that's about minimum separation uh, distance uh, between rooming houses or lodging houses. So mm-hmm. uh, homes with, uh, you know, more, more than a few people, you know, um, you know, five, maybe more people um, sharing, sharing a kitchen so partly shared but but with um you know but with their own room um these types of housing are more affordable you may have kind of uh known working at the working center these types of housing rooming houses or lodging houses are, are very important because they're more affordable types of housing and and a lot of the subsidized housing um, maybe that the working center supports also might otherwise be considered uh, rooming houses if, you know, if they were kind of um, mar- market rentals. So mm-hmm. they're, in very, they're a very important source of housing. And sometimes with the zoning that we have, it's, um, it's the idea behind it is to prevent the over-concentration of poverty, mm-hmm. ultimately of poor people. Um, but w- when you have that kind of regulation of not allowing um, certain rooming houses based on where they are, that just takes away options from people that takes away affordable housing options for people. It doesn't address the root cause if anything, well, not if anything, it, it makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we're hoping to kind of, first of all, have that allowed, but and second of all, maybe shift some of that kind of conversation of what we do about what we consider um, too much poverty. I think it's, you know, yeah. I think poverty itself is the problem. So how do you help lift people up instead of, you know, taking away, the, the some of the limited options that they options, yeah. still have wow that's uh honestly i think that's powerful man uh just having people who are advocating for that but i guess now the next question will be um how has the community responded to it or are you guys gaining any traction because as we're saying right now this is a very important issue that i think should concern every Canadian, you know, because uh, as we talk about, you know, human rights and um, the economy and poverty, housing is a key element to that. Mental health, and, you know, all these kind of things. Um, yeah. Housing is usually w- one of the, I think, a key to a key solution to some of these issues. Because as we said already, uh, if you have a place to stay, you know, you can come from work with all these crazy COVID-19 whatever is making you you know you know sleep late at night if you have a place where you can just go and relax I think that takes 
a lot of that burden away. Obviously, it doesn't take everything. So housing is a key element to that. Now, you know, I guess the, the question is, uh, how is the community, you know, reacting to this? Are you getting more support? And what, what's happening? I think we've been getting a lot of support. One of the so I, one of the challenges that we face, like so we're generally in favor of more housing and in particular affordable housing, but more housing overall to increase the supply to meet the demand of of housing to, to hopefully have a um, a a dampening effect on you know the, the the cost the cost of housing, but in particular the more affordable housing types such as uh, rooming houses. And so we we were kind of we, we had an event on uh, last July and we had a pretty good turnout and that was even just kind of um, we had just started our Facebook page by that point and we still had about um, 30 40 people turn out and then uh, later on uh, near the end of the year we had uh, the, the KW record do kind of a an, an article on uh, what we were about and since then we've had other kind of requests from people such as yourself. Um, local radio and um, a podcast to have kind of conversations with them. And we've seen, um, you know, attention to our page kind of steadily increase. A lot of people kind of reach out and show interest. And I think there's, there's much more that we need to do and there's much more that we can do, but we've kind of gotten that start. We've had a little bit of pushback, uh, sometimes just, having conversations with people where, you know, there are a lot of people that um, either don't want, um, you know, certain types of services or, or, or housing or, you know, uh, rooming houses in their neighborhood, but also people that are, um, that don't want development and, um, you know, so newer developments that aren't necessarily the most affordable, but, uh, but could be very important for, increasing the supply of housing so so we've had um i think mostly good uh feedback we've had a little bit of pushback as well and and i think that ultimately you know i think most of the work is still ahead of us Mm -hmm. you know um i think we still need you know when we um have kind of gone to council or even just kind of listened in on, on what was going on there's still a lot of people that are um very opposed to seeing more housing in their, in what they consider their neighborhood, um, whether they call it their backyard or not is. Um, so, yeah, so I think a lot of work and advocacy is still left to be done. Okay, yeah, honestly, I think uh, this is, this has been very informative for me because, you know, I'm just like, you know, taking notes, like literally, um, in terms of just learning about the, uh, you know, what the Yes in My Backyard is all about. Uh, but also about all these options that I think are important for us to to bring to the table. So h- how can people get hold of you or uh, people who want to learn more about the, uh, you know, some of the initiatives that you're doing, how can they get involved? Yeah, so we are most active on Facebook. So if you just look up Waterloo Region Yes in My Backyard on Facebook, uh, you, can, you can message the group and that will go to myself and Melissa. Uh, we're also on Meetup if you're not a Facebook person. Again, with Waterloo Region, yes, in my backyard. We're hoping to in the future have have a website, um, but right now we're um, we're on Facebook, so you can kind of read a lot of the articles and things that we're sharing. And if you want to just connect with us, or if you have questions, you can uh, you can send us a private message uh, through our Facebook page. Perfect. I'll make sure to share your Facebook 
information on the um, uh, in the description uh, of our podcast. But anyways, Martin, thank you so much. Thank you very much, JC. And um, yeah, I'd also just say, um, yeah, check us out on Facebook. But, you know, if you're not in Waterloo Region, uh, you know, similar kind of issues are, you know, in are all over Canada. So, you know, there might be a local group or there might be one that you might be interested in uh, forming yourselves. So, um, and if you'd like to talk with us or others about that, you can also reach out to us through Facebook. Thank you.